Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Well, good morning. Amen. And that's kind of what we're celebrating, this home for Christmas idea. Quick uh, survey we'll take. Does the snow make it feel more like Christmas or does it just make Bryden Canyon ridiculous? Goodness, I've lived here a long time. I've never seen it look as bad as it did this week. We are glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here to celebrate. For those of you joining in the room, that's great. For those who are joining on your couch, which might be the safest thing to do today, we're glad that you're here too. You might notice we have two of the Advent candles lit. This is something we celebrate every year, this time of year. We're, we're moving towards something. Advent is this word that means coming. And so what we celebrate is the thing that we normally talk about at Christmas, the birth of Christ. He came, right, as the tiny little baby born in the manger. We celebrate that pretty well. But we also want to remember to celebrate the fact that he's coming again. And that's very, very exciting for us. So, so we're going to talk about that for the entire month of December in this notion of coming home for Christmas. That's going to be the thing that hopefully will remind us of the incredible things Christ has done. And so one of the things that I want to focus on today is relationships. Because honestly, that's a big part of the holiday season, Right? We're going to have parties, we're going to have dinners, we're going to have Christmas concerts to go to. There's all these gatherings that involves other people. And as we have these gatherings, there's a very real possibility that when we sit down to dinner and we look around the people, some of those folks are going to be kind of strange. Right? And so we can be honest and say it, don't look around where you're sitting because they might be sitting right next to you, but, but they're difficult people, right? And we got to figure out how to maintain a relationship with them. I mentioned it in the Midpoint podcast this week, sometimes relationships are kind of augmented how great they are and how tough they are at the holidays. Now, if you're taking a little mental break right now and thinking about your guest list for Christmas and you're like, well, I don't really think there's going to be any difficult people there. It's you, just to, <laughs> just to let you know, because <laughs> there's almost always going to be somebody, right? I, I know I can be difficult. I'm hard to get along with at times. People are tricky. Of all the things God created, people are by far the hardest, Right? He made all the stuff in six days. It was easy. He took a nap. It was fantastic. People he's been working on ever since. That's just how hard we are. We are what necessitates a need for the scripture like we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, where Jesus says this, if you love those who love you, big deal. I'm paraphrasing, right? What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Now that scripture is super challenging to me. And I hope we read that in light of, of, that's a challenge for all of us. But that's not the most challenging part of this passage even. That occurs in verse 35. Jesus says this, but love your enemies. That's easy, right? And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Ouch. That easy? As we celebrate the fact that Joseph went home for Christmas in this biblical Christmas story, as we think about what that means for us practically, as we celebrate the holidays with all these people, how are we going to apply these verses, these challenges to the folks who are part of our friends and family group? How can we be Jesus to these difficult people we have relationship with? Text says we're supposed to do good to them. We're supposed to lend to them, expecting nothing in return. What's that going to look like for us? 
So to help us figure out how to apply this, I want to look today at some difficult people who are part of the biblical Christmas story. And then I want to talk about how we're supposed to address those people, specifically what kind of gifts we can give them, the difficult people in our lives, if we really want to work on loving people correctly, if we really want to invest in relationships. Now, I'm assuming this is going to apply to you. Maybe it won't. If when you gather for Christmas, there won't be any difficult people around, going to be nobody at your table who's opinionated about their politics or their religion or their take on science and they're sure you're wrong and they're right, if nobody sarcastic is going to show up, nobody throws out those pointed barbs, those veiled insults, nobody drinks, drinks too much or brags too much, everybody's happy with their job, with all the decisions they made, all the decisions their kids have made, profession, lifestyle choices, parenting choices, no relational difficulties. If there's no pressure in any way, you can take a nap. <laughs> this will not apply to you. <laughs> Nobody naps during the nine o'clock service. I'm going to tell you this. But the reality is we're difficult. Some people seem to thrive on causing confrontation. It's like they're looking for things to argue about. You hear the story about the couple. They're married, a sweet, sweet couple, Pete and Jane. Pete and Jane were married and they hosted a big dinner party and had lots of their friends come. And while they were there, it started to weather and I say it started to weather because they argued about what it was doing. Jane went over to the window and she looked out and said, oh, it looks like rain. Pete went out and he looked over the window and he said, no, it looks like sleet. So Jane thought rain, Pete thought sleet. Now they're arguing over what the weather's doing. Thankfully, they had a friend there. They invited a guy and he was a Norwegian friend of theirs, a Norseman, big barrel-chested red beard guy. And his name was Rudolph. And they called Rudolph over. And they said, Rudolph, tell me what it's doing outside. And Rudolph looked outside and he goes, It's raining. Jane's like, I win. And Pete's like, no, now he wants to argue with Rudolph. So he goes over there and he's going to get up in this big guy's face. And Jane pulls him back and said, honey, honey, come on. You don't want to argue with an expert. Pete goes, an expert? What are you talking about? She goes, Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. I'll be here all week. It's like, it's like, it's like you can see it coming. There's nothing you can do about it. Right? Sometimes we like to argue. Be honest, sometimes we create tension. People can be difficult. I can be difficult. Ask my wife. Actually, please don't ask my wife because she'll tell you the truth. Sometimes we're not easy to love. And yet God's word says we're supposed to do what? Love our enemies. Do good to others. I'm just saying there's going to be a very good chance that we're going to get to practice this this Christmas. So if you grabbed an outline on your way in, look at that. We're going to try and answer this question. Who should we be looking out for? Who are the people God is putting in our path to practice with? Who are the people we're going to get to bless with some amazing gifts this year? Number one on my list, almost every year I think about this, it's disappointed people. And I always think of my dad in this category. My dad was a guy who didn't seem to enjoy life and he didn't enjoy Christmas. And, and he would say out loud, well, my life just didn't turn out the way I wanted. And he would say this often, I never seemed to catch a break. He kind of seemed perpetually disappointed. <laughs> So we'd invite him to our Christmas Eve gathering. We'd invite him to our Christmas gathering, and he didn't seem to have a good time. He just struggled with disappointment. He kind of carried this heaviness around with him like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. And when you have somebody like that at your holiday gathering, it becomes kind of contagious. They bring everybody else down. There's a couple in the Christmas story, and they play a big role, and they struggle with this disappointment. Now, their disappointment was centered around the fact that they could not have a baby. They desperately wanted to have a baby, but they were infertile. There's a stigma that accompanies that, honestly, still today. But back in Jesus' day, it was much worse, right? Because back in Jesus' day, if you couldn't conceive, the notion was not just that there's something 
wrong with you, which is what we try and lay on people today. And I wish we wouldn't do that. I pray we wouldn't because there's nothing helpful about that. But in ancient times, there was this idea somehow, if you couldn't conceive, you had displeased God. If you have your Bible with you, you can follow along Luke chapter one. If not, we'll have it on the screens. But this is right before the story we looked at last week, if you remember. In Luke chapter two, we saw Joseph coming to be with Mary. She was carrying the baby Jesus. Here in Luke one, we're introduced to a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And here's what we know about them. You might remember this. They were really old. (laughs) They were old people who were trying hard to serve God. Zechariah was a priest at the temple, but they couldn't have children. So they fretted about it. They prayed about it. They'd done everything they thought they could do. But by the time we meet them, I think they'd become disappointed people. Now, here's how we know this in context. Because in this text, something amazing happens, okay? It's a miracle. An angel shows up and gives Zechariah some incredible news. Luke 1, starting in verse 13. Angel says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, if we're tracking, we know they're going to become the parents of who? John the Baptist has a huge role. He comes to prepare the way for Jesus. But here's where I think we can tell Zechariah was a disappointed person. How do we know? Because he didn't believe the angel. (laughs) He didn't do any of the things the angel told him. He didn't have joy and gladness. Instead, he actually questions the angel in verse 18. He goes, yeah, how can I be sure about that? Because he displays this amazing lack of faith, he winds up being mute for the entire period of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which might have been a gift for her. You don't know. But a little blessing for her at Christmas. But, but he bears the consequences for his lack of faith. In my mind, I see Zechariah and Elizabeth as disappointed people. They'd been praying and they didn't get the answer when they wanted the answer, right? It's like we mentioned a few weeks ago. Sometimes the answer to prayer is slow down. And they didn't like that answer. Do we think we're going to run into any disappointed people this Christmas? What are we going to do? Ignore them? If we don't address their disappointment, if we don't give them some gifts that point them to Jesus, do you think their disappointment's going to impact everybody at your gathering? I bet it will. How do we respond to them? How do we show that we want to develop relationship with them? We're going to look at some gifts we can give them in a minute. First, let's consider some other difficult people that we might encounter. I wish I didn't have to include this next one on your outline. This is unsafe people. We live in a world where there are unsafe people. Long before the trial, the things that are going on in Moscow right now, we've done this for years here at OCC. We have a security team to try and help us in this area. If we have to address situations, sometimes we have to show tough love to people in order to keep everyone safe at the services. And that's reasonable, right? So if you sit down to your Christmas dinner and there's an unsafe person there, what are we going to do? How are we going to love that person well and balance that with keeping our family safe? Now, for some of us, that may involve just getting up and leaving the family gathering. That's tough, but that's a reality, right? As unpleasant as that sounds, we would make a decision like that to keep the people we love safe, wouldn't we? Well, there's somebody unsafe in the Bible. And and I don't know what kind of difficult situations we're dealing with this year. It'd be hard to imagine anyone more unsafe than King Herod. 
He's a big part of the Christmas story. He referred to himself as Herod the Great. And there's just a sign for you if you're wondering if somebody is unsafe at your Christmas dinner and they introduce themselves as Dave the Great, maybe you should eat at Mandarin Pine for Christmas. That's an unsafe person, right? We know that, right? Herod, in this story, decided he doesn't want there to ever be another king. He knows about all the Old Testament prophecies. There's going to be a baby born in Bethlehem, become the ruler of Israel. So you remember what he does? He decides to have all the babies born in Bethlehem over this certain period of time killed. This is an unsafe guy. Now, how did Joseph and Mary deal with this situation? This is what we see in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you why. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. That's a hard command, right? But sometimes the best option in dealing with unsafe people is just literally to remove ourselves. And we've got to pray and be discerning because sometimes we are supposed to engage with them. We're supposed to try and help them. But sometimes we're supposed to get up and go to Egypt for a little while. This Christmas, we may encounter some disappointed people. We may encounter some unsafe people at our holiday gatherings. Who else might show up? I can almost guarantee you this one. We're going to run into some stressed out people. The the holidays make this worse. We run into this all the time. We, We don't have to wait for the holidays. It just seems to exacerbate it. And I would say two of the most stressed out people we're ever going to see are a couple of heroes in the Christmas story. It's Mary and Joseph. I don't know if we think of them that way. We always think of the manger scene and so serene and the little baby in the trough and everybody looks so happy. That's not the whole story, right? There's a lot more to that. Starts a little earlier. We've got this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. A very young girl, she's probably 13 or 14 years old, gets engaged to this rugged, handsome carpenter named Joseph. Here's how their story starts. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, and remember, this is the first stage of marriage in the Jewish culture. This is kind of like a step beyond being engaged, but a step under being married. But it's still a legal arrangement. So if you want to break it off, that has to be legal as well. That's where they are. They're betrothed. It says, before they came together, before they would have been married, before they would have been husband and wife, before there was any physical intimacy, Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Say, what? Does that happen a lot? No. Verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Do we think of that as part of the Christmas story? Can we put ourselves in that situation? This young girl finds out she's pregnant when she's never been physically intimate, and she learns the child actually comes from the Holy Spirit, and now she's got to go tell Joseph? And so they go meet up at Hot Shots that next day, and she's like, well, how was your day at work? You built anything fun? Oh, by the way, (laughs) I'm pregnant, and it's from the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want a divorce, right? Can we imagine that conversation? I'm making light of it, but that's a tough conversation. He would be hurting. She would be hurting because she hurt him. She's telling the truth. He can't possibly believe her, but he's a stand-up guy. He knows the situation. He knows what people are going to think about Mary. So he wants to divorce her secretly. And somehow they wrap that conversation up. I don't know how. And Joseph goes to take a little nap and an angel comes. He gets a visit from God in a dream. And God tells Joseph, whoa, whoa, whoa there, big fella. Whoa, she's telling the truth. And so now Joseph has to take Mary 
back to Hot Shots, and that's tough because that stuff's expensive. Let's be honest. It's good, but it's spendy. And, and they're already under financial stress, right? And Joseph says, hey, I've changed my mind about the divorce. Why? Because God showed up in a dream. Wedding's back on. All that is stressful. And that's not it. Now they find out about the census. That adds to their financial pressure. It's tax season. They have to pack up the donkey and take a long journey. And this does show what a good guy Joseph is. Because remember, they're betrothed. They're not yet married. So legally, he doesn't have to take her for tax purposes. But he does take her. Why? Because she's getting ready to burst forth with child. So here's this poor pregnant couple on this long journey, just stress upon stress. Finally, they show up in Bethlehem. And we all do know this part. What happens? No room at the inn. I want to give Mary a lot of credit. I think she's a pretty neat lady in the story. But, but fellas, be honest. What would your wife say if you showed up and there was no room at the end? Come on. Couldn't have called Expedia? Couldn't have done something? Couldn't have called your cousin Phil? Philly, we're coming. Whatever it was, they don't have a room. They wind up, God's good. They find the room. They have the baby. The Savior is born. And immediately they find out about Herod's plan. Now they got to flee to Egypt. Which sounds good because they escape Herod, but the Egyptians and the Israelites did not mix well together, right? So now there's more stress. All oh, this stress. Can we feel this piling up? Stress of the baby scandal. Pregnant and not married. Joseph raising this baby that isn't his. Financial pressure. Somebody's trying to kill your baby. You're going to go live in a foreign country. You've got to find work. Do we ever think of this in the Christmas story? <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Psychologists use something called a stress index. It was developed in the 1960s. It calculates literally how much stress someone is under. Asks a series of questions. If you reach 300 on the stress level, you are prone to melt down, right? Hypothetically, if you take all these things that are going on in Joseph and Mary's life and plug it into that stress index, you know what number you'd get? 450. Joseph and Mary would have been stressed. Now, thankfully, the thing that is available to all of us today when we're stressed, which is the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that was with Joseph and Mary. I think that's the only reason they didn't melt down. That same gift of God's presence is available today to you, to me, to every stressed out person at our Christmas dinner table. It's the only thing that's going to defeat stress is Jesus. How are we going to give it out? How are we going to point stressed out people to that peace? During this season that we know can get pretty stressful, financial pressure, family responsibilities. How do we help people de-stress? See more of that in just a minute. I want to deal with one more type of person that might show up for our Christmas dinner. And this is the embarrassing person. This is why I said don't ask my wife about how difficult I am. I'm the embarrassing person. Does, does this person ever show up at your house? We've already covered a little bit of this last week. We talked about the shepherds, right? Those were the first witnesses of the birth of the baby boy, and, and nobody wanted to hang out with those guys. You would have been embarrassed to be seen with the shepherds because they were on that despised occupation list. And yet God chooses them to be the first witnesses. They're supposed to go out and spread this news of what God had done, what they'd seen. So let's not write off the people who embarrass us. God may be planning on using them in an incredible way in a way we can't comprehend on this planet. But I want to focus on one other character from the Bible in this story, and he's an embarrassing guy named Simeon, okay? Christmas dinner, we might have a Simeon show up in our house. This is the man, this could be the woman, who just lacks tact. They'll just say anything. They'll just blurt stuff out. Now everybody feels awkward and uncomfortable and embarrassed. How do we love that kind of person well? 
How do we love them in the way Jesus loves us? We meet Simeon in the story. He's this old guy who's at the temple when Mary and Joseph go and they're going to present the baby Jesus to the Lord. They go to do all these ceremonial things they need to do. And literally kind of out of nowhere, Simeon jumps in. He, he swoops in. He steals the baby out of Mary's arms. He praises the Lord that he gets to hold the Messiah. That's pretty cool. But then he turns his attention to Mary and he drops some truth on her. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that your thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Awkward. Simeon says, hey, your baby's going to be great. A lot of people are going to hate him. And their reactions and the life he's going to lead and the grief you will experience, that's going to pierce your soul. How do you wrap that conversation up? Cute baby, though. Very photogenic. Have a great day. I mean, that's just an awkward conversation, right? We'd find that embarrassing. Church family, how can we correctly love that person who makes bold and brash statements? I hope that we'll think about this. I hope we're going to view the Christmas story from a little different perspective this year. This is why we're taking several weeks to walk through it. Because sometimes we read the, the biblical story and we go, well, those folks have no idea what it's like at my house. They don't understand the situations that I'm in. And the truth is, they do. They were difficult people in difficult spots and God loved them and he loves us. So much so that we celebrate Christmas. He sent his son to be the savior of the world. Jesus is the hero of the Christmas story. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. We see him first as his first coming as the tiny little baby, but he came to grow to be a man, suffer and die on the cross in my place to pay the debt for our sin, to conquer sin and death and go to heaven, ascend to be in an eternal, glorious relationship with God, to make the way for us to be reconciled back to God the second we profess faith. All that's what we celebrate at Christmas. All that is motivated by God's love. And so I think we probably knew this ahead of time. Love is the gift that we're supposed to give away. Love is the thing that God pours out on us so that we can pour out on others. But the practical question becomes, how do we give it? How do we show love? What are the boxes of our love going to look like? Like? As we're working on our relationships with difficult people. And I believe there are kind of three boxes that we really have to, to show our love with. And the first two boxes are grace and truth. Those boxes kind of go together in a passage that we're going to look at. And the last box, the last way we can give out love is a hard one. And that's time. Grace and truth and time are the fill in the blanks on your outline. Those first two, I said, kind of go together in the biblical account of the Christmas story that we see in the Gospel of John. And some of you are going, time out, Pastor James. There's no Christmas story in John. There is. And we just, we breeze past it so quick we miss it. But it's there. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me call a time out. Isn't that it? Isn't that the Christmas story right there? We just go so quick. Emmanuel, God with us, he came to be with us in flesh. He dwelt among us. And John says we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. You ready for this? Full of grace and truth. Those are the first two gifts we're supposed to give. Those first two packages that love comes in right here, grace and truth. 
So this Christmas, when we encounter the disappointed person, the unsafe person, the embarrassing person, the stressed out person, can we respond to that person with grace and truth? Jesus did it all the time. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, I think it's such a deep story, it occurs in John chapter 9. Pardon me, John chapter 8. And, and many of you remember this story. But the scribes and the Pharisees set up this woman and she's caught in the act of adultery. Do you remember that? And I say set her up, and that's just my take on it. The scripture doesn't say that. But they bring this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and they only bring the woman, right? So the guy would have had to have been there as well, and they don't bring him. So I think they set this up so that they can confront Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. These religious leaders want to condemn this girl, and they want to stone her to death. And do you remember what Jesus says? Go ahead. Those of you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And now all these guys who are holding stones are like, uh oh, <laughs> not gonna be me, right? And Jesus bends down and writes some stuff in the dirt. And if you remember the scene, everybody leaves, everybody checks out. And this is where I love because honestly, this leaves only Jesus and this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus now explains grace and truth to her. Does it in John chapter 8, starting in verse 10. Jesus stands up from writing in the dirt. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, another quick time out. The Bible's supposed to be funny. There's spots where you're like, that's pretty funny right there. Because Jesus knows full well <laughs> that all these guys peeled out, right? He knows they split. He goes, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. What an incredible expression of grace. But watch this, it's not grace alone, it's grace coupled with truth. It's not free grace, because he doesn't end there, he continues, he says, go, and from now on, sin no more. After offering this incredible grace to this woman who was clearly a sinner, she was caught in the act, Jesus instructs her with the truth. He says, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop sinning. To truly love people well this Christmas, we gotta offer them grace, and yet we have to be willing to speak the truth into their lives. Too much grace leads to something the Bible calls licentiousness. It's this deal where we think, well, I can just do whatever I want and there's going to be no consequences. But that isn't true. There's always supposed to be consequences for our disobedience. And if we don't tell people that, we're not loving them well. That's so simple to see in some regards. I mean, we wouldn't let our kids play out in the street and just offer them grace. Oh, it's so sweet. No, we'd go, get the snot out of the street. Cars could come by in any second. There's truth there. We combine those things together. And Jesus did that so well. He's trying to teach us that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to show love to our friends and family this Christmas. That's what we're going to have to do if someone at our Christmas gathering is unsafe. We're not going to turn a blind eye to that and just keep offering them unlimited grace. No, we might have to throw in some truth, the, the reality of consequences of disobedience. The most vivid Thanksgiving memories I've ever had occurred several years ago. It was when I was on staff at the church God had me on back in Missouri. And every year we had a Thanksgiving Eve service. It was the night before Turkey Day. And it was just a real low-key deal. It was an open mic. And people would stand up and say what they were thankful for. And, and every year God would just blow me away with some incredible story. And one year this young guy stands up. He's 20-something or whatever. And he's there with his whole family. And I know his family well. And he stands up and he says, this year I'm thankful for my dad who didn't bail me out of prison. This kid had been busted selling drugs several times. 
And, and his dad was pretty well off. And every time he got busted, his dad would bail him out. But the kid wasn't learning any lessons, was he? And so he gets busted early in this year. And, and he goes to jail. And his dad comes to visit him in lockup. And he says, I'm going to leave you. You don't seem to be learning these lessons. And the kid spends six months in jail. And he shows up at the church on Thanksgiving Eve and says, the thing I'm thankful for is my dad who loved me enough, even though it was killing him, he loved me enough to experience both grace and truth. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Those are amazing gifts that we can give away this Christmas. One last gift that we can give to the difficult people in our lives, and I believe it kind of combines with the other gifts, but I'm going to tell you, this is a tough one to give. It's time. Do we lack patience sometimes in dealing with difficult people? People aren't a burrito that you can throw in the microwave and hit a minute and it's done, right? It doesn't work that way. Long term, that's not the deal. When we're offering grace and truth as gifts from God, can we hold off on getting so impatient? Can we hold off on being so frustrated with our family and our friends? I'm telling you, this is a hard gift to give away, but it's an amazing gift. Maybe someone at our dinner table needs just a little more time. Not forever, right? Not a world without consequences, just a little more time. Jesus shares an amazing parable. It's about a barren fig tree. It's from Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 6. It says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it. He found none. And so he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Verse 8, and the vine dresser answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and, and put on manure, put on fertilizer. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, if you remember, we preached through the Gospel of Luke for a couple years, and you could go back online and listen to that whole sermon if you want to. But, but this is a parable about grace and truth and time. If you remember in this parable, God is both the owner of the vineyard and the keeper of the vineyard. And so this is God balancing these gifts, grace and truth, with just a little bit more time. He says, give it one more year. Let's give it one more shot. Church, in our difficult relationships, can we dig around them just a little bit more? Can we add just a little bit more fertilizer and see if that person will grow? See if they'll bear fruit in the near future before we rush to judgment? Before we want to throw them away, we do that so quickly. I know that I'm guilty of that. We'll look at somebody and we'll go, well, do you know what they've done? That person doesn't deserve grace. Neither do I. Neither do you. And yet God pours it out. Grace is God's undeserved favor poured out on us. Grace is getting what we don't deserve because of God's love. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. That's a different thing. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. In this parable, God's still at work on that tree, just like he's at work on me, just like he's at work on you. This year, as we're giving away the gift of love through spreading grace and truth, can we resist that urge to take people to God and say, here, God, throw them in the microwave. <laughs> Cook them a little bit. Fix them. Isn't that what we say? We want God to fix people. What if we changed the way we did that? What if instead we went to God and we 
said, God, here's my heart. Fix this. Fix me. So that I will look at people differently. So that I'll see people the way you see people. Help me. Work on me so that I can be the package that brings grace and truth and offers time. I'm sitting here in church today. It's pretty easy to nod our heads and go, that sounds good. That's a good idea. I'm convicted of how I'm going to show love to others. What are we going to do on Christmas Day? What are we going to do on December 25th when we shower these gifts that God wants to give? When we box up God's love in the form of grace and truth and time and give those to the difficult people in our lives? I'm convinced the only possible chance I have of doing that well for God's glory is to just let him love me. Let him fix my heart. Let him fill me with his love. And then I'll go out and pour that love on others. I want to close with an amazing passage from the book of Isaiah. This is God talking to the people he loves. This is God talking to Israel. In the same way I imagine that he talks to us, the people he created and loves. And in the context here, the folks are having a very difficult time. There's a lot of stress, not a lot of peace. They're in that spot, honestly, that we sometimes find ourselves in where we're doubting God's love. Don't raise your hands, but if this has happened to you, we get to that spot and we go, where'd you go, God? Where are you? And then we ask that companion question, why don't you love me? This is actually what they say in Scripture, Isaiah 49, verse 14. But Zion said, and remember, Zion is a neat word in Scripture. It starts out meaning just Jerusalem, but then it grows in context. It becomes to refer to all of God's people, and then honestly, all of God's people and the land they occupy. So this is a big, big group. God's people say, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Ever felt that? Be honest. And God responds, and this is so beautiful. Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. God asks, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? And that paints a picture for us and we go, no way, no way a mom does that. But we know it happens, right? We're fallen people. We live in a fallen world. We've heard horrible stories. We know it can happen. God knows it too. It says, even these may forget. How sad is that? Yet I will not forget you. I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Think about that this Christmas. We celebrate Advent. Jesus is coming as the baby born in the manger. He's the Savior of the world. He's God with us. And to prove it, to prove that he's with us, he lived on this earth surrounded by who? Unsafe people. Disappointed people, stressed out people, embarrassing people, and he just poured out grace and truth and time on them for us to see, for us to learn. Why? So we can do it. So we can go out and be Christ's hands and feet. That's our application this Christmas. And after his time on this earth was complete, he went to the cross and he stretched out his hands. And what was tattooed there on the palms of his hands? What was engraved? My name. Your name. Every person who has ever professed faith, our names are engraved on the palms of his hands. That's how much he loves us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Let's be honest, that's saying something. Because we're difficult people.
Church, this would be an amazing Christmas if we would just think right now, start praying right now about that difficult person that God has already put on our hearts today. And we're going to make this commitment to bring our difficult hearts to God and say, God, would you change me so that I can shower love and grace and truth and time out on that person so I can invest in that person? That'd be a heck of a Christmas, wouldn't it? God bless you guys. I sure do love you. Let's pray. Dad, a huge challenge for us to see people the way you see them. We want our Christmas memories to be special, and sometimes we, we gather together as families, and, and we just scratch the surface of what we're supposed to be doing and investing in relationships and loving the way that you want us to love and being willing to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to offer grace and truth and time to people who desperately need it. The reality is we desperately need it, Lord. So will we start by coming to you and offering you our heart and saying, God, I'm not kidding. Fix this. Fix me. So I'll draw closer to you. So I'll love the way you desire for me too. So you will get all the glory at our Christmas gathering. God, we love you and we praise you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.